Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a Pen and a Napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 172. And if this voice on the other end of the line sounds familiar, it's because it's the same guest that we had last week, Mr. Matt Kramer. Uh... Terrific, terrific boys basketball coach out of the state of Ohio with a little detour down to Georgia for a a few years. Um, And last week we talked about Coach Kramer's books, uh, The uh, the, Coaching Life and Best Laid Plans of a High School Basketball CEO. And this week we're going to talk about kind of Coach Kramer's philosophy. And and, and so we're we're kind of taking an extended version of our normal podcast where we kind of have the first part about the coach's background and all these other things. And the the, the second part here is is about their philosophy. We're just doing two different podcasts in the same type of vein here. And so Coach Kramer is back with us uh, on the previous podcast. If you listened last week, we're, you know, we're not going to talk about coach's background because we've already done all of that type of stuff. And so we're just going to jump right into it here in just a second. Again, before we get going, we want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located 144th and Maple here in Omaha, Nebraska. Coaches, if you or any of your athletes have uh, any balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi. Give them a call at 402-964-0300. Follow us on Twitter, at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. If you're listening, download, rate, review. Give us a five-star review. Give us a good recommendation. The more that stuff happens, the the more we move up the ladder. And folks, check us out. So uh, please do so if you would. And of course, questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Go check out a pen and a napkin.com. Did some revamping to the website a little bit a couple of weeks ago and uh, did some different things with it. And so I, I think you'll like it. We've added some things here. Coach Starkey uh, from LSU uh, sent me some stuff to put on the website and, and just some terrific things that we've got going on there. So that's a long winded way to get back to Mr. Matt Kramer. Coach, how are you doing this fine evening? Oh, you know, I'm great. I mean, we've got the NBA playoffs going. My Cavs are back in there for this first time since I was in my 20s without LeBron. And mm-hmm. so they didn't do so great in their first game, but we're looking forward to them hanging around maybe making a series of it here starting tomorrow. So it's a good time of year to be a basketball guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a terrific. I, I was up uh, Saturday and I pretty much watched the Kings Warriors game. Start yeah. to finish, and I think we talked about it at the end of the podcast. Or no, it, sorry, I'm getting my podcast confused. I was talking about it with Tony, and um, man, just Steph Curry is so just amazing, just just absolutely amazing with everything that he does, and him and Clay. I mean, it's just I, I hope we're all appreciating what uh, those guys are doing because it's it's going to be hard to ever see something like that ever happen again in, in the beautiful game, and and so. Uh, it's it's great. It's a great time of year. The intensity of the playoffs is at a at a peak peak level. Unfortunately, we had a bunch of injuries this weekend too. So uh, hopefully that doesn't water down the product a little bit. But uh, yeah, that's always part of it. You know, I mean, play, being healthy. You know, the same thing goes for tournament time and in, in high school basketball. You know what I mean? A twisted yeah. ankle is the difference between. You know, having a great story to tell sometimes, and wondering what, and wondering, and wondering what could have happened. Right? Hey, hey, oh, exactly, absolutely. Uh, and and uh, you, you never want to see it happen. You'd like for everybody to be as healthy as they can be, but like you said, that's that's part of 
building your roster and, and filling your out and trying to prepare for as many scenarios as you can. Now, sometimes, you, you know, a lot of people, and I'm sure you've been there before, Coach, a lot of people could say, well, just next man up. But sometimes, especially in basketball, that next man is nowhere close to the man that would, the, that man was replacing. And, you know, I've been there, uh, probably the best player I've ever coached as a head coach, tore ACL, and, and that was literally the difference between uh, I, I thought we were going to win 20 games and we ended up winning 13. I mean, it was literally a seven-game drop-off without that gal in our lineup. And and so sometimes, you know, if you lose a Giannis for an extended amount of time or it sounds like the Grizzlies might be losing Morant for another game or two, that that, that could spell the difference between end of the season and, and, you know, giving the other team a chance to move on. And, again, that's no, no pun intended by all means, Matt breaks of the game and and that's you know sometimes those are the things that just get in the way and you got to be lucky to be really good oh yeah you good listen anybody who's made a, a deep tournament run especially in a high school game knowing that it's a you know it's a winner go home type of a situation you 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 know i i've been to a final four and um you know we made the deep run here in ohio to the sweet 16 which is um you know you gotta win four or five games to do that you you gotta you're gonna have to get lucky there once mm-hmm. um you know, unless your talent is just head and shoulders above. And when I had the team in Georgia, I mean, we had fantastic talent, and it took a, a buzzer-beating, you know, three-point shot, you know, balls out of the hand, in the air, down two, on the road at a gym that our team hadn't lost in three years in the southernmost tip of Georgia. Mm-hmm. And the kid the kid that shot it wasn't, you know, he was the third option. Mm-hmm. Um, and he made it, you know what I mean? The ball, yeah. the ball went to the basket, and it was, it was that um, – that deafening silence from the home crowd and, and, and euphoria. And it was, it was, it was one of the, it was one of the five, you know, I, I don't rank them in any order except for the, the number one, but uh-huh. um, it, it was an amazing thing. And it was lucky. I mean, the yeah. bottom line is it was lucky. Um, yeah. Ball ended up in his hands and he stepped up and made the shot. And, you know, anybody who's done that, anybody who's made that deep run has a story like that to tell, you know yeah. what I mean? It's a lot of times it's a kid you didn't expect to do it. So, yeah. Well, my mom always used to say, anytime you get into a tournament, um, you're you're going to play one bad game along the way. And I mean, like, yeah. uh, you know, like UConn went on this run to win the national championship on the men's side, and they didn't play. They didn't play a bad game the whole time. But that's very, very rare to be that dominant. You know, usually yeah. you're going to have a game where, you know, usually at that time of the year, it's not for lack of effort or lack of, you, you just don't have it or the other team plays really well. And you've got to, you've got to find a way to get through that one game that you're just, that you're just not on top of your game. And again, kind of luck plays into that. A, a shot rims out or you, you have a kid that steps up and makes a couple plays that you don't normally expect or whatever it may be. And, and that's, that's, that's a big, big part of it. So oh, yeah, and they, every, every single one of those games too, you know, takes on a, on a, on a personality of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, some, you know, some of them, I think our, 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 uh, round of eight game to make the final four, I think we were in the nineties, I think it was 94 to 82. Mm-hmm. Um, our final four game was 92 to 87. We lost to, a uh, team led by Colin Sexton, who, you know, that speaks for itself. And yeah. uh, their their second guy was Jared Harper, who led Auburn to their final four. There was Bruce Pearl. Oh, yep, 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 yep. So that was pretty darn good backcourt. It was a heck of a game. Yeah. Uh, the game to the Sweet 16 game that I was just talking about ended 54-53. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, I mean, you, you just don't you just don't know. You have to be. And that's why I think it's important to, um, you know, to 
to be able to win different ways. You yep. know what I mean? I, sometimes the ball didn't go in the basket. Sometimes, you know, despite your best efforts to speed up the tempo, the pace slows down and um, you, you know, you have to be prepared in those tournament games to, mm-hmm. you know, to make adjustments on the fly and find ways to gut it out, even if it's not the way you planned on it. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's dive into uh, more of your stuff here tonight, Matt. And, uh, um, I, I, I think something that, that we, I know I probably have not done as good a job of on, on this particular podcast, especially talking to high school coaches is, is talking about the classroom. And, and one of the things that you brought up in, in, in the book, uh, uh, in one of the books at, at a point was talking about your, your, uh, your classroom, getting that taken care of, things that you need to think about uh, for your teaching part of it that will help your your coaching part of it and how your coaching will affect your teaching. And if you don't get the job done in the classroom, it really, you know, in, in a lot of, in most, uh, it, it's going to be very difficult for you to keep your job long term if you're not taking care of the stuff inside the classroom, whether that's, you know, like if you're a PE coach, your classroom is a gymnasium, of course, whatever, whatever your area is in education. And, and so I thought we'd lead with that tonight here. Just just the, the importance of the classroom. I, 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 I just switched jobs for the first time in 19 years. I, I switched teaching jobs uh, two years ago, and, and I was really... Uh, locked in on making sure that my classroom stuff was good to go, um, that I stayed on top of it and, and newly, you know, make sure everything was organized and so forth and so on. But just want to talk, talk to, let's start there with, with taking care of the classroom and how important that is for a coach as they, as they step into to any sort of job. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great question. Um, it's not one that you're asked very often as a coach, but, um, you know, it, one of the purposes of the book is to, is to serve coaches at all. Um, you know, all kind of stations, all stages of their career. And I'm not speaking to young coaches right now more than anybody else. And maybe, maybe kids that are in college that are um, wanting to coach at the high school level, or at least considering it. If you, if you don't find um, satisfaction in teaching, whatever, whatever your content is in the classroom um, or the gymnasium, it's PE, then, then you shouldn't get into this business. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just as simple as that, and I I mean I I've said that to um, I, t- I spoke at the University of Akron a couple weeks ago on the book. I was fortunate enough to to get up get up there. They they found they saw the book and they're actually thinking of adopting it as um, part of their reading is for their uh, introduction to coaching class. And you know, one of the first things I said to that group was, if you know, if you're if you're serious about the coaching part in in high school, um, you better make sure that you're you're also first serious about the job that you're going to have to do in the classroom because, um, you know, quite frankly, you know, it, it, the coaching is a roller coaster and the scoreboard kind of dictates how people feel about you. You can gain a lot of allies mm-hmm. by being a great, by being a great classroom teacher, by showing yeah. up every day yep. and, give, and giving a great effort there. Um, and, and that's not the only reason you do it. Obviously you're serving kids in both cases. And, you know, it's funny. It took me 30 years to, you know, to maybe kind of nail this down, but like, being a high school coach is is it is teaching. You know what I mean? Like you 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 have to be good at one, um, in my opinion, to be to be really good at the other. And I feel like anybody who gets into coaching, I should say, gets into education, and is really not interested at all in the teaching part, is really not just doing the school, um, the community, you know, the district, the kids in those classes a great injustice, but you're also doing yourself a great injustice. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to spend more time there in that classroom than you are in that gym. 
right? Now, you know, we coaches know that being a head coach is also, and, you know, and, and really being a really good assistant is also, it's a, it's a second full-time job. So I'm not trying to separate and say one is more important than the other because I think if you're doing your job the right way, I think they're equally as important. Yeah. Um, but they, they have to be equally as important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I just, I just feel like, you know, the fact that I, I, I really do still like to teach in the classroom, um, you know, that, that's, you know, that, that sustains me, you yeah. know, honestly, I, I, I just, the other thing is, is the classroom balances you, you know what I mean? The, the, you go into gym and there's a scoreboard and you're going to be judged by that scoreboard. And, uh, and I've always felt like the classroom was, was, was a place where you just can't lose. Yeah. You know, if you go in there and you prepare and you're doing your best to serve every kid in that room, um, then it, it's, it kind of takes some of the edge off, off of what can be a pretty pressure packed job, uh-huh. um, in coaching nowadays. And, and again, I'm not trying to paint a picture of, you know, every day is great in my classroom because a teacher's been in there for 30 years. know that there's going to be, there's going to be some days where you just don't have it. They're the same as, as, you know, sometimes your team doesn't have it in the gym, but like uh-huh. you have to, you have to want to go in there and do that every day. And, um, you know, I'm an English teacher and, and, you know, it's, it's kind of an unusual mix English teacher. Uh, basketball coach but um, you know it is what it is and um, you know it's 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 served me really well and I've I've taught everywhere from seventh grade through 12th I've taught honors and I've taught you know on level and I've taught kids that struggle and uh, you know I've, I've found that you know there's a lot of joy in, in all of it um, you know really you know and again yeah. does that mean what are you saying Kramer you've never had a class it was a, well no I'm never I'm not saying that you know and in some years are definitely better than others but um, you know Honestly, getting up and going into work with kids, it, having a bad day there is better than most jobs, um, a good day on most jobs, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's why I'm still at it 30 years later. A lot of people aren't, um, you know, and I applaud them, too. If you get into it and you realize, you know, I really don't want to do this teaching thing, then, you know, I applaud you for getting out. Yeah. Um, because there's no way that you can maximize um, you know, your, your talents, if you're, if you're going to work every day and, you know, you're miserable for seven of those hours. I mean, that's yeah. got to make you a miserable human being when you walk in the gym. Yep. So, you know, yeah. it, it, that, that's kind of my philosophy on that. And, um, like I said, I still enjoy the classroom and, you know, I probably, it's weird because I pr- probably enjoy it more today than I did, you know, 15 years ago. And it's just Agreed. because, yeah, it's because I feel like I kind of, you know, just maybe it's emotional maturity. I, I don't know what it is, but it's like this, it's really tough to have a bad day in the classroom. Yeah. It's just really tough to have a bad day there. So yeah. um, that's kind of my thoughts there. I uh, I really think that one of the things that younger coaches, when they get into education, they want to be a coach. And a lot of a lot of coaches want to coach first, and then teaching is is an avenue to get into coaching. And I get that. That's that's how I started, without a doubt. Sure. Oh, uh, yeah. But but one thing you, you come to realize pretty quick is if if you're gonna be a good teacher in the gymnasium in our case, or out on the football field or out on the soccer pitch or whatever it may be, you have to figure out how to manage a classroom and and to be organized and, and to, to teach and to get that material across. If, if in your case, you're teaching The Great Gatsby, you know, one of my favorite books, by the way. The I English love The teacher. Great Gatsby. There you go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There you I go. But, we we but, could go on and on about The Great Gatsby. Let's, oh, hey. Make that a separate podcast. <laughs> there we go. There we go. We, uh, just lost, we lost about 500 high school view, or, uh, listeners right there. They just said, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Uh, it's all right, old sport. Uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever you say, Daisy, I got you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah we'll, we'll leave Wolfsheim at home. So, 
anyway, uh, enough enough literary nerd references. Uh, but but you know you you you've got to be able to communicate and do that so if you can't teach in the classroom you can't teach on the field because it's it's the same thing you're just teaching if i'm teaching drop steps and pivots and finishing around the basket or if i'm teaching how we want to rotate in our press or whatever it may be well i've got to be able to clearly communicate that clearly and concisely communicate that and have the kids pick up on it and if you think that you're just going to be able to to do that in the in the gymnasium without doing that in the classroom or not master those skills. They're one in the same. It's just a different, it's different material, but it's the same concepts. And I think that's something that uh, young coaches don't really realize is, you know, if you want to be a great coach, let's say, and let's say you have uh, aspirations of moving out from the high school level to the college level or, you know, dreaming big, you know, getting paid to just do basketball full time, whatever it may be. You know, that classroom can be six or seven periods a day of a laboratory of how to make yourself a better coach as well by working on those skills. Uh, have you ever thought of it like that, Matt? Oh, absolutely. I mean, listen, I, I make I make not necessarily sports references all the time, although I do make some. But with some of the things, I, we're in Shakespeare right now. We're doing Romeo and Juliet, right? Okay. That's, that's, and that's universal at the ninth grade level from here to Georgia. Um, you know, a lot of kids will say, well, you know, why do we need to learn Shakespeare? And, you know, my response to that is, you know what, you really don't. Um, you know, you, you, there's a good chance Shakespeare will never come back into your life when you get into your adult world and you're trying to make a living in any way, shape, or form, maybe short of a, a line from there that has been mainstreamed into our language or the pun, right? Mm-hmm, yep. But, like, here's what Shakespeare does teach you. You know, it, it teaches you to gain some satisfaction in doing something difficult, in being able to accomplish something, Right. That isn't just two plus two equals four. Yep. You know what I mean? Having to having to wrestle with with material, things that aren't necessarily going to come naturally, things that are going to take more than one try. You have to read it two times, three times. You know, and, and those are the things that I always tell my athletes in class. Those are the things that sports are supposed to teach you too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like here's the deal: if if if, if, it, if everything was easy in life, then everybody would be super successful and famous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, that's not the way it works. And uh, it's certainly, there's another side of that as well. Obviously, you know, people that are really successful also do the really common things really, really well every single day consistently, but that there's, there's a connection there, right? Um, you know, if, if you're working at the hard things and, and, you know, I'm sorry, if you're doing the common things consistently, well, when you run into something that's difficult, you know, you don't have a pile of things that you should have done already that you haven't done yet. And you can attack that more difficult thing full on and and really get something out of out of accomplishing it and mm-hmm. you know it, it, sometimes it you know you start to see it register with a kid and it starts to make sense yeah. um you know and a lot of a lot of times it's you know it's like oh wow you know i can start to do this and like right now we're, we're well into it so like kids are starting to pick up on some of the language and mm-hmm. they're you know they're, they're catching up on here and, here and it's you know again yeah maybe shakespeare never comes back but like you're doing it guys you know what I mean? You're yeah. doing it. And it, it's a lot like, you know, over overcoming a, um, you know, a really difficult task in a practice where, you know, you're working on something that you're, you're just not very good at. And, you know, you work at it, work at it, work at it. And you finally get it. Yep. You know? And then that yeah. translates into, okay, now I know I can do that. So, like, you forget about whether it was Shakespeare or whether it was, you know, double teaming a pose from the backside and making a good rotation, you know, out of that first, on that, on that kickout pass. Um, you know, once you realize you can do that, 
you know, you know, then you could do it again. And then, you know, you can do it again. And so next time something looks difficult, it doesn't seem so daunting anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's really, um, you know, one, one of the things that you know, I try to stress with these young people, because, you know, we know as, as English teachers, not everybody's going to go to college and be an English major. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you got to kind of give that up. Um, you know, some, sometimes it's not necessarily about that. Sometimes it's just about, you know what, learning how to dig in, having some persistence, having some resilience, having some stamina. And just deciding, you know what, I can do this. Yep. Um, you know, and I, I think that that's a, a major connection between the classroom, um, you know, a lot of times and, and, you know, the sporting field, whether it's a court, like you said. And I didn't even know what a pitch was until I watched Ted Lasso, but I just said pitch there, so I picked up on that. Um, and I, I'm, I'm late to the party with Ted Lasso, but I love it. So oh, that's, uh, I, I, I like the reference there. Terrific stuff there. I, I've got yeah. my I got my Richmond Greyhounds long sleeve tee uh, upstairs, so... Uh, real quick, uh, favorite favorite English piece of literature you you like to teach? Oh, uh, you know, that's, that's you hit the Great Gatsby, and that's that's one of them. Um, I'm a big To Kill a Mockingbird fan okay. too. There you, um, go. Yep. you know, those those are two that go right to the top. And then you know, Scout I would, and I would say, and Bill, yeah, yeah, you you know, Tom Robinson, that whole deal today. Um, you know, with some of the issues that we have in society, that that still has some value to take a look at that, and um, you know, that's another good one. And I, you know what, I, I'm a big I'm a big Animal Farm guy. Oh, okay, um, a little Orwell. Okay, yeah, just just from the standpoint of the things that that you can teach kids, the skills of the concept, the allegory, and I like the you know the connection to the to the Russian Revolution and the history that goes with that, and um, you know the Stalin and you know the rise of Russia as it leads to the Cold War and everything else. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of things there that that are very connectable. And um, so like, it, that's kind of a weird one for a basketball coach to like, but like, it, it's funny because kids tend to kind of start to like that one too. Once they, they, again, it's one of those things where like at first, man, I don't see that. I see a pig. I don't see Stalin. I don't see Trotsky. I don't see, you know, Tsar Nicholas. I don't see any of that stuff, but then they start to see it and it becomes second nature to them. And then they're starting to be able to analyze a full paragraph of that stuff. And again, it's, it's just like sports. You know what I mean? You go from being very rudimentary in what you're doing to starting to put some pieces together. And the next thing you know, you go from, um, you know, like, like walking to running and, mm-hmm. and you, the satisfaction that you can get from that. Um, it's just, it's just good. It's good for the mind. It's good for the confidence to me. I, you know, like I said, I still like all that stuff. So, you know, that's, that's why, that's why I still do it. Yep. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the A Pen and a Napkin Video Library. Well, let's get into uh, something else that, you know, if it were easy, everybody would do it and they would do it well, and, and that's interviewing. And, and you spend a lot of time in the books talking about interviewing and um, everything that goes into it. You know, I went through this process a couple years ago. Um, I hadn't interviewed in like 17, 18 years, and, and right. 
I sucked. I was terrible. And and it was and for me as as, as somebody who likes to read body language as most people do, but uh, who like who wants to read body language, try, kind of read the room when you're when you're interviewing on Zoom. Oh man, that was just that that was a double whammy. I didn't think I was yeah. doing very well and then you're doing yeah. it over Zoom and you don't have that opportunity to to make that connection in the room with somebody, but you know, interviewing is is really really obviously really important. You can't be a coach until you get the job. And, and so let's just go through some of the things, um, that, that you've gone through that you've experienced and, and some of the recommendations that you make in the books when it comes to interviewing. Let's talk about, uh, building a portfolio. And that's something when, in my two years that I was out, uh, obviously my listeners know, uh, my, my program vision booklet, uh, it's, it's for sale and, and people can have it for 15 bucks. But I spent two years building that whole thing and, and tearing the house down to the studs. Cause I wanted to walk into every interview and say, here's my vision. Here's exactly what we're going to do. Here's exactly, you know, we're not going to have, well, we're going to go and work hard. Well, no, how, here's how we're going to work hard. And, and the importance of coming in, not only talking about a plan, but having a plan in hand to show your hopefully future employer about what you're going to do. So tell us a little bit about that coach. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I, I talked about this at the University of Akron as well. And I, I actually told the, the professor there, if I were teaching this class, um, and it may be something I'd like to do at some point, in, in lieu of a final exam, that, that would be the final exam for the students to, to put together a, a coaching philosophy in, in, in aimed at whatever sport it was that they were choosing to, to try to coach. I mean, I just think it's, I think it's a great way to self-evaluate um, prior to an interview as well. I feel like when you, you, you know, you put a portfolio together where you talk about, here's, you know, here's what we're going to do. You know, we're going to, this is going to be our philosophy. These are going to be our core values. You know what I mean? We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to go with the bottom of Wooden's pyramid first. You know, we're going to start with, you know, industriousness, enthusiasm, cooperation, friendship, loyalty. And we're going to build our program on those five kind of foundational pieces and, you know, start with that, you know, and, and then get into, you know, here's what I believe in, you know, as far as, you know, what my expectations are for my players off the court. Here's what my players should expect from me on a daily basis. And then we get into on-court philosophy and a ladder system for, you know, developing players from really kindergarten. If you're in a public school um, here in Ohio, from kindergarten on up, I mean, like the sooner you can get those kids in a gym, um, you know, there, there's two things here too, and a high school coach needs to remember this. And I think you need to sell this in an interview as well. Your job is to build a basketball program, but it's also to serve a community, yeah. right? Yeah. And when you start doing things um, and, and putting programs together for the youth in your in your district, not all those kids are going to play basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you're doing is you're it's, it's a lot like education. You're giving them kids those kids a chance to pick and choose and decide what they like and what they don't like. Um, you know, as they're as they're growing up, and the ones that latch on to basketball will stay with it, and that means you started them at a really young age, and they're they're ahead of the game. And the ones that decide they don't want to play basketball is just like school. I mean, school offers you an opportunity to learn a lot of different things, and you can eliminate ideas, um, you know, for what you want to do the rest of your life, just like you can decide what you want them to be. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all those things I think come into play. And I think it's important to have a plan mapped out for your, for your program. You know, and kindergarten seems like it's a stretch, but like we did little dribblers with kindergartners, first graders, second graders. Um, when, you know, it, it, the programs I was at, we called them the, um, you know, we, we just called them the little dribblers at Fairless cause it was kind of a, 
a new thing. It was a Randy Montgomery thing. I actually mm -hmm. made it famous at Triway. If you read the book, you'll yep. he'll tell you a little bit about that. Yep. Connected to Sean Miller. Yep. You know, the Sean Miller that's at Xavier all the way back when he was a kid. Um, but we picked up on that. We called them the Magic Cats at, uh, at uh, when I was a kid in South. When I was at Milton, we called them the Milton Magic. And, you know, it's, it's a great way to get kids involved, get them started, you know, make it fun right they don't know they're building skills they're there to have fun you know and that's the object um you know and so to to get them into that at a, at a really young age and then and then continue to build you know those programs third grade fourth grade you know up into fifth and sixth where maybe there's you know you're, you're running a league and then maybe there's a you know there's a um, you know i hate to use the word elite um, but maybe there's a there's a team that that you know you pick an all-star team from that league that you're running on saturday morning or Wednesday night or whatever it is, and you you know you you travel them a little bit in the spring, and you know then pretty soon we're in the middle school, and each year you're you know you're adding skills, you're adding skills that are individual skills, and you're adding things that you would like the team to be able to do, um, from simple pass and cut maybe when they're in third grade, you know up to maybe set a screen away by the time they're in fifth grade, um, you know getting them into different offensive movements by the time they're in seventh and eighth grade. Um, on the offensive end of the floor and having a defensive philosophy in place where they know what your, you know, your defensive principles are, you know, are you, you know, you're playing a helpline, are you overplaying, are you denying, are you, you know, where's your help coming from? You know, they, they should know those things by the time they get to high school. And I think it's important that when you go into a, an interview that you let the, let the interviewing committee know that you've thought all that stuff out. You yeah. know what I mean? That you're not going to just yeah. take the next group of kids that comes into the high school and hope that you can teach them everything you need to know, yeah. um, you know, by the time they're varsity players, mm -hmm. you know, and then you, then you get into, you know, obviously you got to sell yourself as well. You know, what kind of, what kind of a coach are you? Right. I, I mean, I always say, and, and you know, and I think this is still true. Um, you know, if you ask most of my players, they would say that I'm a, it, it's kind of a weird thing. It's kind of a fine line that, that he's a player's coach, but like, he also expects us to work really hard when we're in the gym. So like, it's not like he's a player's coach and he's our buddy. Yeah. Um, but it's like, he, you know, he gets us right. And you know, he knows when to step on the gas and maybe when we need to back off a little bit, but by God, when we're between the lines, you know, he's, he's not going to let us mail one in, you know, he's not going to let us, you know, take, take a day off. He's not going to let us, you know, kind of half heart a drill, um, you know, the expectation is, is that he's going to, you know, he expects us to try our hardest all the time and, and listen. And when that doesn't happen, then, you know, obviously there's, there's some things that, that he does to, to, to make sure that, that we, we do. Yep. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that, you know, we went, we went into this a little bit yesterday. Um, I think that when you really do care about your players, I think that's really what player coach means. And I mm. think that the trick to being a player coach is getting the players to understand that you really care about them even when you're pushing them. Yeah. You know, that, that's really the trick, you know, and am I going to tell you that every kid that I've ever had has really gotten it? Probably not. Um, you know, but like the ones that were really good did, you yeah. know what I mean? And, and when I say that, I don't mean like my, my guys that were all state, I just mean the ones that were, were successful, um, that played for good teams. I mean, those kids got it across the board. I mean, there, there there wasn't one that at the end of the year would have walked out on my better teams and said, man, I, I, I don't know if that guy really cared about me, right? Yeah. Because you know what? We laughed together and we cried together, you know, and, and we had some serious discussions that sometimes were difficult, and we had some discussions that were, you know, just a couple dudes talking sometimes. And, you, you know, I let the people know that when those guys need me to listen – then I'll sit there and I'll listen to them for as long as they, they need me to. And whatever it is they need me to try to, 
mentor them with. And, you know, that I'm there for that as well. And, you know, you know, you've been in it for a long time, too, that you're going to run into some situations where, you know, kids get themselves, you know, into an entanglement, you know, and, uh, and it's our job. That was, that was to kill a mockingbird, I think. And, uh, I, you know, that's part of it, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that that's really what being a coach is, you know, a player's coach is all about. It's, you know, making sure that when those kids leave the program, they, they know that you did everything you could for them, not just as a basketball player, but, Mm -hmm. but, as a human being, yeah. you know, as, as a student, um, you know, socially, you know, whatever the case may be, you know what I mean? And, you know, you, you get in it for 30 years, man, there's, there's some priceless discussions that go on behind closed doors that no coach would probably ever share with anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what kind of makes those relationships special, you know? Yeah. And yep. so that, that's, that's what the interview is all about to me. I think nowadays too, coach, um, you know, in, in a coaching life, one of the, one of the new things that I, you know, I didn't do this in my last interview, but I did do it when I went to, to Georgia for the Milton interview. And I did it when I came back to Columbus, even though I already had the job before I interviewed. You know, I set up a, a family picture um, on the on the desk. And, you know, the, the people that were the interviewing committee, I introduced every member of my family to that committee. Mm-hmm. And I, I just reminded them that they're not just hiring me. They're really hiring my whole family. Mm-hmm. And that this basketball thing is a lifestyle. Yeah, and I think it's important you do that nowadays because you know life has changed for high school coaches. We got, you know, unfortunately, athletic directors that 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 run an athletic department sometimes like little kids play a video game. When things don't go well, they want to hit the reset button fast. Yeah, and I think it's important for young coaches, especially, to hear this, and really anybody who's gone through, you know, uh, um, you know, a non renewal or firing, whatever you want to call it, at the high school level, when you interview for your next job. Introduce your family and make sure everybody that interview knows that the the the, the well being of everyone in that family depends on their support. Mm-hmm. So so when when things get a little tough, you know you're going to tell them no. You're going to keep working hard for them. And you're going to keep doing the right things. You're never going to do anything to embarrass the school. And in return, all you really want from them is to make sure that before they start to listen to people talking about firing a coach because we've lost three out of four games remember that that coach has a family and he moved to this district right thinking that this was the way he was going to put food on the table for his family um because that's that's the reality of it and i think that if you don't do that in an interview nowadays you're making a mistake because i'm telling you that that human element has really been lost over the years it really has and you know that's kind of my 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 new idea and if, if, if you know what if you're already doing it out there coaches uh, you were ahead of me um you know i started doing it later in my career but like i think that that's one that i mean i think that's i i would i would start with that i mean that's the way i would introduce myself um mm-hmm. you know kind of kind of just to get the get the uh, interview launched and as i'm passing out my portfolio because i always would bring a copy of that with all the things that we were talking about from you know feeder system to you know, um, you know what I expect from my players off the floor. It's all those things that go into the, philo- into the philosophy that go into a coaching portfolio. As I'm passing those out, I'd also be setting that picture on the desk and saying, you know, here's here's who I am. You know, here's who you're hiring, and it's not just a basketball coach. Yeah, yeah. You you had the quote in the book. I had it written down. Make sure your administration understands that you're a human being first, and I and I think that they ask you to. Uh, there there are there are times where. Um, administrations uh, ask you to be a transformational coach, but they treat your employment status in a very transactional way. And 
that's kind of backwards. <laughs> you know, we're talking about That's another conversation altogether. And I listen, yeah. I've worked for some great administrators. I mean, sure. some really, really and, good And so ones. have I. So I've had and very we, so few we talked, ones. We talked to Absolutely. some yesterday, and i got to be honest with you, the, the principals that I have at the high school right now here at Wilmington are, you know, they're really good people and they're hardworking people. Um it, it it it's not a negative thing toward all administrators. I, I just think there's there's a lot of them right now that they don't really know what they want. You know what I mean? I think that they're listening to the wrong people. You know what I mean? Like I said, we said this mm-hmm. yesterday. If you're the average public school and you're measuring your program against the the you know the the, the school that's three times your size, or against the private school that you know is is essentially recruiting six six counties and getting the best players because they've got a Nike contract you're you're gauging your program against the wrong program mm-hmm. you know what I mean I'm, I'm, and I would never say we can't beat those guys but I don't know we can beat them every year yeah. so what we have to do is we got to keep our best players here in the program we got to keep those kids from leaving by building relationships with them and showing them that we can, we can offer a lot of great things here. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we've got to, we've got to wait for that cycle of players to come. And when we, you know, when that window opens, we got to be ready to, you know, we got to be able to climb through it. Um, but like to say that we can be this school's like, for example, right mm-hmm. here, here, I, here I am in Wilmington. Listen, this could be a pretty good basketball program and what it is right now. That's not for me to say, cause I'm not the coach anymore. But, like, here's the deal. Wilmington could play Milton, where I was in Georgia, 20 times, and they would lose 20 times. Uh, I mean, if yeah. I was coaching both teams, it has nothing to do with the coach. You, 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 can't, you can't gauge yourself against that program right now. Yeah. Um, you know, it just it, you're never beating that program right now. There may be a day where you can, uh, but it takes time to build that at a public school. And like I said yesterday, you know, hey, listen, we won 20, 25 games. At, but we should have. Right. We should have. Mm-hmm. So if you're the average public school, don't don't go judge yourself against that group that has three, you know, ESP two, two SPN top 30s and, you know, a couple other kids that are mid-major. You're not you're not going to you have to know what you're looking at. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to know what you're looking at. And I, I think that a lot of times administrators that that hit that reset and butt quick and want to recycle a coach every two years, they're looking at the wrong thing. Right. Mm-hmm. What, what's yeah. happening is, is they're never allowing a coach to build a program and, and teach kids to do do things a certain way and play a certain system or whatever you want to call it or a certain style and really let it take hold. So what happens is every two years you start, you get a new coach, you, you set that program back two years and you start all over again. Mm-hmm. So that program that's way ahead of you, it, you, they just picked up two more years on you. Uh-huh. And that's what these guys don't understand. You, there is no magic wand. Uh-huh. There's just not a magic wand. If there was, somebody would be selling it, right? <laughs> and, and you know, we they wouldn't be listening to this stuff here. They'd be like, you know what? That's great, Kerry. You got a lot of great things to say, but I don't care because I just bought this magic wand. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, no, and you're right. Not, and there's not one. You know, there's just not one. And and so, you know, I think that it's important that when you go to interview. Um, and I've got something up on my blog right now, and I sent it out in my my weekly newsletter, my monthly newsletter, which is starting that um, at a coaching life at the at the website. Mm-hmm. And it talks about the questions that you know that you should ask in the interview to gauge whether or not the job is a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and one of the things that I suggest for any coach, and, and again, I, this may be obvious, so if it is, I'm not trying to be condescending, but I'm saying do this. Look at the history, the last ten years. Of, of the hiring and firing of not just the basketball coach, but also the football coach 
Okay, and I would even say the baseball coach um, in Georgia it was because that was a revenue sport in Georgia. But any of the key, those key coaching positions, right? Yeah. Um, if if the history there is every two years, every three years, even sometimes after one year, that's a, that's a dangerous job, man. That's a that's a that's a dangerous job. I would even say that's a bad job. Yeah. Um, you know, because unless you've got talent, basically they're showing you their hand. Unless you've got talent from the senior level on down to your ninth graders. Right. They're going to be looking for another job in two more years. And that's going to be you. Right. That, that's sitting there going, what happened? And so I think that I think you have to be really vigilant, um, it, you know, as I don't care what stage you are, in your career. Here's the next thing. If you're a young coach, right, you don't have a, you've never been a head coach before. And you, you, you've worked that ladder and you've been loyal to a program and, and you're ready and you're out there and you're getting interviews and you take the wrong job. You know, you get fired after two years. You may never get another chance. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the reality of it. Like if you walk into an interview after you've been fired after two years and it didn't go well, right. All you've got to say is, well, you know, I, you know, it didn't go well for two years, but I'd like to try it again. It's a little bit different for a guy like me because, you know, I've done some things like you have, I've been to a final four, you know what I mean? I've, I've coached some guys that have played on the, on a biggest stage. I've got some people on my resume, like a Mike Dunleavy or a, or a Mike Bray from Notre Dame or a Mark Price that played for the Cavs that will make a phone call for me and say, yeah, that dude won 25 games at Milton. He can coach. Yeah. All right. So like I can go on 25 and I still got the 25 win season. But if you're a young coach and all you got is two bad seasons and someone fired you, you may not get another chance. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the reality of it. So you have to be really, really careful um, in today's day and age. And I'm not saying that you turn your nose up at a job that could, you know, could, could be pretty good. I'm just saying that I, there's some pretty, and again, it's, it's on my blog site. I, I would invite anybody to go there. It's brand new. Um, we're starting to get more and more people on it. And that's the kind of thing that I, I you know, I'd like to, to have people interacting, uh, about on the, on that site, because those are the things that can really help coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's, that's, again, that's really what the book's all about. Yep. So, yep. I mean, I hope I answered the question. I know we went from portfolio to kind of around the world on some no, things. No, no, but... there was just a lot of different things there. And you, you talked about it, red flags that you should be looking at, you know, a, a history of running through a lot of coaches, you know, stable administration, that type of stuff. Um, yeah. Let's, uh, you know, once you get that job, once you get that job, Matt, uh, what's the, you know, when and, and you've got your portfolio and you've got your plan. I know what my plan was. Uh, but in, in your plan, what are, you know, what do you want to get done to quote, uh, here's the history teacher. I'm going to match the, the English teacher with the, with the history reference here, your first hundred days on the job, uh, assuming that you get hired in the spring. And, and so you're, you're getting hired in the spring and you're going to have that summer, uh, that spring and summer to establish who you are and what this program is going to be about for your, for your spring and your summer workouts before you get into that fall break area and, and before school starts and all that other stuff. But what are what are the what are the things that in an in an average situation and every situation is is not the same. I totally understand that. But what are you looking to accomplish right away in that first hundred days, coaches? Do you want to look good? Pfft, stupid question. Of course you want to look good. We all want to look good. You know what's the best way to look good? Buying yourself some a pen and a napkin merchandise. We've got some really, really good-looking stuff here. We've got T-shirts and sweatshirts, and you are not going to regret picking that up. T-shirts are $22 a piece. Sweatshirts are $30 a piece. If I need to mail it to you, it's just $5 shipping and handling to get this good-looking stuff out to you. 
Coaches, I appreciate all that you've done for me over the last three years or so with a pen and a napkin. I hope I've been able to help you out. Might as well come out and help out the Twitter handle and the podcast by ordering some a pen and a napkin merchandise. And like I said, you get to look good. If you're interested in ordering, you can DM me on Twitter at a pen and a napkin, send me a direct message, or you can email me a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, and I'll get you those ordering details so that you can order some a pen and a napkin merchandise. Yeah, I mean, number one is making relationships with the players. I mean, I, I would say that in, in every situation, um, everywhere I've ever been, that's that, that's been my first move. Um, you know, and there's been some situations that were harder than others. When I got the job in Georgia, I was still living in Ohio, so I was 600 miles from my job. But, you know, by that time, social media and texting and all those other things, that's really where all this stuff started for me because I didn't know how to use a phone before that happened. And that's the way that I, you know, that's the way that I was making relationships with those players besides, you know, driving down there to see some of their AAU games, um, you know, the peach gym and, uh, and all that that goes on down in Augusta in July. Um, it was about, it was about, it's just about meeting those players and, and starting to, you know, start to form those relationships uh, more times than not. That's, that's as simple as just getting them over to my house you know, like, like as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I say that the varsity and JV kids that are returning and, you know, a cookout, a bonfire. Um, I had a nice piece of land when I lived there in Canton, Ohio here, here in Wilmington, I have the swimming pool in the back. So, and we got the rec room down here in the basement with the pool table and all that stuff. So, um, you know, you know, whatever, yeah, it doesn't have to be anything elaborate. You know I mean? In yeah. Canton, it was as simple as just starting a little campfire in the back and, you know, grilling up some hamburgers and hot dogs and, you know, and sitting around there and just genuinely, genuinely being interested in meeting the kids um, because you know that's that's really where it starts and I feel like I'd kind of like to know them before I get on the floor with them yeah right because I I, I always say we're going to start slow but like you know I, I, I got kind of a fixed intense look on my face and I'd like the kid to know me a little bit before he has to see that look first you know what I mean um, and, and so that that would be number one um, you know another thing obviously is you know, building relationships with the with the key people that are going to be you know a part of my life um, from administrators, mm-hmm. athletic director, principal, and I like I said, I've worked for some great ones. Um, you know, doing as much as I can to to form those relationships as well. So that's another relationship piece. Um, I would want the film from last year. I want to. I don't necessarily want to see my own guys. I'd like to scout the the, the schedule, um, especially the conference, and I'd like to learn as much as I can about those teams. I, I always feel like one of the real the real benefits or pros or, or uh, I guess advantages I have as a first year head coach anywhere I go is that I can scout who I'm coaching against. They can't really scout me, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, like they don't they don't know how we're going to play. I mean, they're good. They probably can dig some film up a lot easier now than they could have 20 years ago. Right? Yeah. But since, but still, it's it's not quite as easy, you know. And I've got yeah. that all at my fingertips. Um, you know, that would be another one. Um, you know, the next thing obviously is I want I want I want I want one I want one assistant coach to be hired with me if I can get it, yeah. you know, and at this, at this stage in my career, I mean, I would, I don't want to say demand it, but like, I would want to know that if I had somebody that was close enough geographically to come be my assistant coach and he was a teacher that, that the school district would honor my request to at least get that guy an interview to see if they were willing to hire him as a teacher. Um, so that I have an assistant that I can trust. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think that, you know, from there, you know, you kind of build your staff. And if I don't have that guy geographically, because when I went to Georgia, I didn't. Sure. Right. Yep. But, you know, but I started interviewing people on the phone right away. I mean, I was at Milton. They were calling me. They, they, they people that wanted to coach there. It was easy. Yeah. Right. 
um, you know, nowadays that's a hard thing, you know, and one of the things I would, one of the questions I tell people to ask in the interview, and again, I'm not being negative, I'm being serious, you know, do I have, will I have the authority um, to, to interview and hire my own coaches? Mm-hmm. You know, will, will I be able to hire the people I want to hire? You know, or are there some people in the district that, you know, for whatever petty reason, they don't want them coaching anymore because they bench somebody's kid or, you know, something happened 10 years ago because yeah. I don't want to get involved in that. You know, when I came here to Wilmington, that's that's what the deal was. Every time I went to to to, you know, to my people with a coach, oh, no, he can't coach here. <laughs> and when I and when I said why, it was like there wasn't really any good reason. It was like, well, you know, he cut so and so's kid when the kid was in fourth grade. And I was like, well, the kid's in ninth grade now, and he doesn't even go to school here anymore. So what difference does that make? You know, and, and so you just don't want to get involved in those things. You know, yeah. you have you have to be able to build a staff. And so when you when you go into the interview and, and especially a second interview, start to ask these questions. You know, if you if you hear any hedging or hemming and hawing from the administration about, well, you know, we don't really do that or we don't really do this. And, you know, you need them to do it. I'd be real careful about taking the job. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. if, if you can't if you can't build a coaching staff, I mean you're you're in trouble. Like I, I I'm gonna be very honest. I mean we've talked a lot about and there's a lot of I with this because you're talking to me and it's about my career. But like sure. here's here's the deal: any any success I've ever had as a head coach, okay, I've had because I've had great assistance too. I mean it, it's always been a we thing. Yeah. I've never done any of this on my own, you know. And and we said this yesterday when my assistant Tim Vick told me when we were walking off the floor after that district championship game in 2007 that, you know, I should write a book because he says, you know, Matt, you rebuilt this program. The first thing I said to him to, is, Tim, listen, I want you to stop right there, dude. Without you, there there isn't tonight. So, like, this is not me doing anything. This is we. Mm-hmm. I had a great, great coaching staff at Camp South. They were not all X's and O's guys. Um, Tim was. He was a really good defensive coach, and he kind of served as my defensive coordinator. I, I really liked to to be able to to delegate, you know, a side of the ball for a guy to to have the autonomy to, you know, to really put his hands on something. And Tim did a great job with that. I had other people that were just good at different things and they all just worked selflessly um, to serve those kids. And I won't even say to serve me because I just felt like I was a part of them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like they were serving me. I feel like they were, that we were all serving each other. Sure. And that's the way that it works best, mm-hmm. you know? And yep. so obviously, obviously to build, start building that staff would be the next one. Um, you know, and there's some things that I'm going to post on the blog site to how to interview a, an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to do it from this perspective. I'm a guy that has made some great assistant coaching hires and I'm a guy that has made some really bad mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there were red flags with the, with the mistakes. Yeah. Like for example, you're interviewing an assistant coach. And the first thing he starts to do is rip the guy he used to coach for, right? Yeah. So I, I'm looking for a new job because the head coach I coach for is this, that, and the other thing. Listen, that's the end of the that's the end of the interview. Yeah. For me, like we can keep talking, but like in my mind, I just put an X through your name. We're moving on to the next guy yeah. because I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not Roy Williams. I'm not Phil Jackson. I'm not John Wooden. I mean, I know what's going to happen here. If that's what you're doing to talking about that guy then I'm going to be the guy you're talking about in six months. And we listen, we got enough issues as head, co- as head coaches. We don't need our assistants out in the community questioning us, right? 
Yeah. So, oh, you know, no, so, you're building, right. so, yeah. so building that staff is another one, you know, it's huge. Yeah. Um, so I would say, I would say, you know, starting with the relationships with the players, you know, and obviously the people that are my superiors to, to, to start to build those relationships as well. Um, you know, putting, putting a, a youth program of some kind together in the summer, regardless of when I get hired to make sure that those kids are seeing my face and me not standing there, letting my assistants do the work, but m- myself, um, you know, making sure that I'm the one that's, you know, that's kind of directing that first camp, especially so that my staff can see, you know, what the expectations are. And so that the community people that come out and drop their young kids off can say, yeah, you know, this, this new guy, he, you know, he's really working with these kids because that's what we do. Right. Um, I think that's really important. I think scouting the, 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 um, the last year's tapes just to kind of get a feel for what the league does. Uh, because like, let's just be honest, you know, we don't, we don't get like six weeks in Ohio. We don't anyway. I think it's 13 days now, but it's been 10 forever. And if you're following the rules, if you're a new coach and you get hired in June, you're not going to have your whole system in by your first game next year. You're just not going to. So, you know, you better know what the early schedule is going to, require your team to be good at yeah um before you start putting your you know your your uh practice calendar together you know are we going to need to break a press early you know what i mean i mean we, i mean what kind is it going to be is it going to oh. be a diamond is it going to be a man-to-man are they going to play passive do we need to be able to attack are we going to be able to have are we going to have to attack a zone do we are we going to see any one three one um early because you know if, if you're going to see those things then that's going to kind of dictate how you how you set your calendar up, um, you know. And then obviously meeting with your staff to make sure that you've you got a good grip on those those you know those first couple of weeks of practice. Um, you know, I, I would I would say those are the things that, that you know that I would focus most on. Um, you know, and and it, you know, and that it's it's going to be busy. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you, you take that job and that it's, it's going to be nonstop. You know yeah. what I mean? It is. Yeah. Um, on the floor, I would say the first thing that that I like to do. Um, you know, we get to on the floor stuff. So if you're talking about those first hundred days, I'm a big tempo guy. Like, you know, I, the only time I've ever had size, you know, really, really, I don't want to say imposing, but where size was an advantage for me was at, at Milton in Georgia, where I had the front line that, you know, everybody played division one college. That was a different role for me. And that, that made me have to learn how to, to coach. But, and we did some of the, a lot of the same things. Um, it just looked a lot different with those kids. Yeah. Um, you know, it, we, we yeah. emphasized, uh, different parts of the offense that I like to institute, but I'm a big pace guy. I like to play fast. Um, you know, I, I, I've been told that, that my fearless teams in, you know, from 2006 to 2008 kind of changed the phase of high school basketball in, in, you know, Northeast Ohio. And we really, you know, back in the day, it was the Phoenix Suns, right? With Steve Nash and that Seven group. Seven seconds or less, yep. Yeah, where they're playing. Well, ours was nine seconds or less because it was high school, so it takes us a little bit longer, right? But, like, that's what we did. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we were doing. And when we first started doing it, people thought we were crazy, that I was crazy, but, like, we were really good at it. You know, we were small. You know, we were, you know, I mean, people are calling it positionless now, and we weren't positionless. Um, you know, I still numbered the players for organizational purposes and things like that. But like after the first couple passes in our offense and in transition, we had four or five kids on the floor at all times that had a green light to shoot three point shot in transition if they could get their feet set and an open look. And they were really good at it. Um, mm-hmm. And and so, you know, what I learned about that was is that if you don't have imposing physical talent, you know, big physical, strong guys, it, slugging it out in a half court, you know, you got to play a perfect game to beat a team that's built for that. And so, you know, playing with pace and what we call our run and stun philosophy, 
and you know nine seconds or less it, it really you know it really changes the game you know it changed the game a lot for us we went from being a a program that was completely irrelevant to being on top of division two basketball in our area in three years um and and a big reason was because i just decided that we were going to commit to that pace so you know the obvious question is what's well, so like kramer everywhere you go and every team you coach you're going to play like that well no right yeah. uh, you know the personnel really it really fit that group but i will tell you this it's a lot easier to teach that kind of basketball and be competitive at the average public school where you know you're not going to get the six foot eight six mm-hmm. foot seven six foot six front line than it is to try to, to to grind out a possession by possession game and be competitive against the better teams so you know i don't know if it will it, it, it to me it's not always going to be breakneck pace but like we're always going to look to run you know what i mean like i teach our guys we're going to run on makes we're going to run on misses we're going to run when we get turnovers we're going to run every way you can gain, gain possession of the ball the first thing we're going to do is we're going to we're going to attack the defense and my goal is to you know and I, i've told my better teams this and some of them are really good at this if we never have to run a set play um yeah. you know if we never have to yeah. get into our offense i'm okay with that Right. And like like my better teams, especially my 2017, they were so good at this. It would be halftime and we hadn't run. We hadn't run a play yet. We hadn't run a set. We we hadn't really gotten into our offense because the other team couldn't get us slowed down enough to force us to. And, you know, that's that's the reality of it. You know, and then someone tries to press you. And that's the worst mistake somebody can make um, against a team that's really good at running. Because, you know, typically all you're doing now is you're saying, okay, now we're we're actually going to spread our defense out further. And and he'll give you, you know, places to 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 get in the open court. And so, you know, I, it's I really like to teach that kind of basketball. So like in the summertime, rather than teach them, you know, our whole package of set plays. And we, you know, I, I'm I'm like anybody else. I like to run a play. And yeah. I think you're really. I think when you're really good, and we talked about this in tournament time, you're going to have to win a possession by possession game, and you better be able to do that too. But like I think the summertime, the biggest thing is we want to commit to understanding that we're going to play defense a certain way. And we're going to we're going to attack with our run and stun fire transition game. The second we gain possession of the ball, that's the way we're going to play here, and instill that in those players, um, you know, during the summer. Because I, I said this in the book, and you know, I, I said it again. And I write some uh, some freelance stuff for a, for a website that um, later on, if you if you want, you can you can pick up on it where I shared my zone stuff and um, you know my press offense stuff, and I've got one that I'm getting ready to release here on the fast break offense. And it's, it's my favorite thing to coach. Um, and I've said this for, for years. It is way easier to slow your team down than it is to get them to speed up. Yep. Right? Because yep, they got to really trust you, okay, to, 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 to be willing to play that fast. Because a lot of coaches won't. You know what I mean? And I've told coaches before, if you're the kind of guy that, hey, your guys make two turnovers in a row playing fast, you're going to want to, you know, put the shackles on them. Don't coach it. You know, don't mm-hmm. coach it that way. Right. Because some guys, they just see that they're like, you know, some coaches and I listen, I'm not saying they're wrong because guys have won a lot of games playing slow, too. So like, this is just my philosophy, not 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 making a judgment. But like, if you know that after two turnovers in transition, you're going to say, OK, no more fast breaking, then don't teach it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I oh, always yeah, tell you, that guy, you know, what, yep. it, it, so what I'm saying here, too, is like, well, so what you're telling me is your, your, your half court offense, you guys never make two turnovers in a row. It's the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yep. the same. And and. You know, I so like I, we've always go back and forth. And this is just a, it's a matter of taste. You know what I mean? What do you like better, ketchup or mustard? Right? I like I like to get up and down, and um, and you know, and, and that's a, you you can also recruit to your program that way because it's fun to play that way. You know, kids like that. 
Um, you know, they, they tend to like it. Now, they, they, they think they like it more than they really do at the beginning because it also requires a lot of conditioning, right? And I'm not talking about running sprints. I'm talking about every drill we run, you know, and kids find out, okay, yeah, this is fun when I get in shape, but, like, I'm not in shape yet, so it's not fun yet. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. And that's, that's kind of part of that process. So that would be another thing that I would do right away. I would, I would tell kids, here's what we're going to do. Right. And then I would start showing them that this is what we're going to do right here in our open gyms. And then, you know, if we go play in a shootout or a team camp, then that's going to be kind of our focus, you know, being really, really good in our half court man to man defense, because I think that's where every defense starts. And we'll extend it some without doing a lot of trapping in a summertime situation just to get used to extending the floor. And we're going to, you know, we're going to run, you know, makes, misses. We're going to get up and down the floor. Mm -hmm. That's what we're going to do. And, you know, from there, um, you know, I think that we can start to build in the fall when we come back after football season, we get in the gym, we can start, you know, being a little bit more specific with our X's and O's. But that's that's kind of the way I would start. Yep. Uh, you, you talked about hiring your staff, and I'm sure you've been in this situation. And, and for me, it was a tremendous benefit um, when I was with this with my good friend Jeff Ritz. Uh, hiring an assistant coach that used to be a head coach. Uh, yeah. just so beneficial if you, uh, just for a couple of minutes, Matt, tell us, you know, the benefits of having, uh, an assistant coach that is, and I'm not talking like somebody that was a head coach for a year or two. I'm talking about somebody that had some, some notches on their belt. You know, how, how yeah. important is that to have? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I could look at this from the flip side. Um, when I wasn't a head coach after the first time I was released from a position, I was Randy Montgomery's assistant. And then I assisted another friend of mine, you know, in two years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Randy, won over 600 games, would hand me the whiteboard marker and a timeout or at halftime and tell me to just do my thing. You know what I mean? You know, what did you see? I mean, to have another set of eyes that really understands the game, right, is huge. Because as head coaches, you know, we get caught up in in, in all of it. You know what I mean? And there's the score and the, you know, the, the substitution and the fouls and, like, and sometimes you don't, you just don't see everything. Sometimes as an assistant coach, you're just sitting there. And, and actually, as an assistant coach, a lot of times I feel like I saw more. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be a better head coach when I went to be a head coach. I learned yeah. how to, I learned how to sit down and just be quiet, right, for periods of time and just observe. You don't, you don't have to be pacing and walking, and you know, and and you know, it's 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 a different feel. But like to have that guy that was a head coach, like my assistant Tim Vick, who I've referenced several different times he was a super successful girls coach okay mm-hmm. um he he coached what i would say I, mean, I would i would argue he may be the best basketball coach and, and i was there too so i'm including myself he may be the best basketball coach that ever coached at Fairless as far as his success went with that girls program he took that program kind of like we did with the boys um he was there before i was and turned it from nothing into you know i mean they they, they won 90 percent of their games over a three and a half year stretch um, never quite won the big prize, but like they were, they were close, right? And again, at Farrell, we're not we're not talking about a big basketball powerhouse school. We're talking about a school that, since Tim Vick has not been the girls' coach there, I don't know they've had a winning season, right? It's yeah. been it's been seventeen, eighteen years, right? He yep. he was just really, really good, and his thing was you know man to man defense, and he he taught it and he taught it well, and the way he taught it, I really liked, and you know we collaborated some, but like he knew that he had the the authority to you know to kind of take a chunk of practice and here's what we're going to do today and you know I trusted him to coach I trusted him as a friend I mean I think that's huge um, and and we were great together you know and it's funny uh-huh. the way that all happened Tim 
after that stretch that I was just talking about was he was really close to those girls. I mean, like he loved those kids. And when that, when that last class graduated, he was just burnt out. Um, you know, he just was. And so he stepped down as the, as the girls coach. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And so he never wanted to coach boys. He, you know, he swore to me coaching boys is crazy. Girls is much better. They're more fun. You don't deal with the ego, you know, on and on and on and on. And so he never wanted to coach boys. So we're out on the golf course, you know, one afternoon and I lost my assistant. He got a head baseball job. And so, you know, I, I mentioned to Tim, he said, man, I need an assistant coach. So, you know, you want the job? And I was kidding when I said it, but I wasn't kidding. Right. Cause I thought, yeah. you know, he may, he may be intrigued with that. Right. And so I planted a seed. We laughed it off, finished our round of golf. And I didn't say another word to him. And a week later, he, he calls me out of the blue and says, Hey, I've thought about this assistant coaching thing and it, it might be kind of fun. Um, we'd become really good friends. You know, he's, we're sharing a gym at Fairless. We only had one gym. There was no practice gym. There was another gym in this district at the time. So like it was, we shared the, you know, we practiced first, they practiced first. We were really good about sharing. So we had a great relationship and he said, I- I'll coach with you. I'll be your assistant. Right. Mm-hmm. But like only if you're going to let me coach, I don't want to hold a clipboard and, you know, sit there and ch- ch- you know, just, you know, chart stats or whatever. I said, bro, you're you're hired. I said, I'll tell you what, so it could make you feel any better. I'll let you take responsibility for all the losses. You know? <laughs> and, right. Yeah. So he, you know, so he obviously, I mean, I, I, I just, but I did say that to him. And, uh, you know, he said, yeah, right, whatever. He said, just do me a favor. Don't get thrown out of any games and don't die because I don't want to be the boys head coach. That was yeah. Tim. And he <laughs> said, and he said it just like that. You know what I mean? He, he said, if you die in the middle of the season, I'll never forgive you because I don't want to be a head coach right now. So I was like, okay, Tim, thanks. Um, but like he, he was great. You know what I mean? Um, you know, head coach, he'd been a head coach for 10 years. Um, and he, he was great, you know? And the other thing about that, that head coaching thing, it's like, sometimes, you know, we had coaches get, we get angry with referees, right? And it may not happen to you. Um, but it, it did with me every now and then. Yeah. And, and Tim was great because, you know, he would just tell me when, Hey, you know what? It, it, that's enough with them. You know what I mean? Like, I agree that wasn't a great call, but like you've made your point. I think he gets it. And so it was just good. You know what I mean? To have somebody that had been there and, you know, and kind of knew and could kind of talk me down in certain situations and then tell me too sometimes when I needed to be a little bit harder on somebody, you know, Um, it just was nice to have somebody that really, really got it. And, And he really, really got it. And, you know, besides his expertise on the basketball floor, um, you know, having that really good friend that, that had also been a head coach was, I mean, like I said before, my, my staff at Fairless, and if you read the book, I, I, you know, I go on and on about them. I can't say enough about them. Um, those guys are still some of my best friends in the world. And, um, you know, I was really spoiled there. And, you know, it was a process to build that staff that, you know, that, that went seven or eight years. I had some pretty good people come and go because they went on and got head coaching jobs. Um, but by the time I left there, I mean, I, I had I had so much there was so much good about that staff from the kind of people they were to the things that they offered our program to, you know, to their motives, um, you know, and their genuine just caring for the program. And also the fact that that we all looked out for each other and, you know, not one person there thought, you know, I can't wait till this this guy Kramer leaves so I can be the next head coach. I mean, I don't know why I left Fairless. You know, I mean, I start talking about those guys yeah. and I think I, I you know, if I could go back in time, I, I just wonder you know, what exactly I thought I was going to get someplace else that I didn't have there because like, it was the perfect, it was the, it was the perfect job when I left it. It wasn't the perfect job when I took it. Right. But like it, 
I mean, I had administrative support. I had a great coaching staff. You know, I had kids that had been in the program or were coming up the pipeline. I mean, so why'd you leave, Coach? All right, well, you know what? That's probably six more podcasts. And, you know, we, we can evaluate, um, you know, what, what sometimes we get all caught up in as coaches and being sure. courted by another school and a little oh, bit yeah. of a raise and, you know, all the things that coaches want to do. And I'm telling you right now, young coaches and wherever you are in your stage, if you've got happiness right now, don't mess with it. Yeah, stay don't mess there. with happy. Stay with it. Unless, listen, unless it is a life-changing sum of money, okay, don't mess with happiness. Yeah. Don't mess with happiness. So yeah. um, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but like that yeah. that staff thing, Coach, I, I think in today's day and age, besides administrative support, and I don't know that you can ever really trust that unless your administrator becomes an actual friend, okay, mm-hmm. that, that like and has seen you win some games and they, they just believe in you. I'd say number two is the is the coaching staff because they will they will either make or they will break you. Mm-hmm. And I said this in the book, as the head coach, it's your it's you know it's on you either way. Like if the if the, if the coaching staff like it did at Fairless made me a better coach and made us better, like that's part of being a head coach. That's a good job by a head coach. If the coaching staff breaks you because you've got the wrong people. Um, with the wrong motives, then as the head coach, that's also your fault because you hired them, yeah. you know, yeah. and that, that's the, you know, that's the hard part of, of, you know, being that CEO, if you will, that we talked about in our first book or that, you know, that president of the company. I mean, it's, if the company fails, you know, for whatever reason, if it's the people you hired and that's your fault, you hired them. And um, so like that, that's a huge thing for me right now. Um, that would be, you know, I, I think Randy's part of the book, you know, he said if he could do it over again, he would only hire one assistant coach his first year, even if he had three paid positions, right? Yeah. And just work with that head coach and make sure that guy was there for the right reasons and loyal and get him to understand the way the program worked and then hire another one next year where, where there was one that he already firmly trusted and could be an example for the way, you know, this is the way we all do things here yeah. as assistants. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's a pretty interesting idea. Um, you know, it's also going to make more work for the head coach because if you have more assistants, then you can delegate more authority and, you know, and theoretically then, you know, that that's that's a that's a better situation. But, like, I, there's some merit in just having one and knowing that we're in this together and then build from that point on. So, yeah. Coaches, you know just as well as I do that we're always looking for new and different ways to motivate our players and programs. But sometimes it's hard to find that perfect source that we're looking for. Over the past 25 years, I've collected hundreds of handouts to help motivate my players and programs. And now I'd like to share some of my favorites with you. The A Pen and a Napkin 101 Best Handouts Booklet is now available to you for only $15. In this booklet, you'll find motivational material for all types of situations and individuals to help you communicate your values to your players and program. For ordering information, you can either DM me on Twitter or email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com for details. Um, let's, uh, let's jump into, let's, let's go with one last thing here, Matt, cause you, you, yeah. you jumped on some things, the run and stun and all that other stuff. Uh, let's talk about your basketball moms club. I, I really oh, yeah, like yeah. this concept, this yeah. idea that you talked about in the books. I think it's a great way to, uh, it's a great way to build camaraderie and trust with your parents 
And I think it's a really good idea. Uh, a football coach I used to work with at my old job, Coach Terman, he had the he called it Monday Night Moms. Yeah. Uh, was was you know kind of akin to it to a degree. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the Basketball Moms Club that that you created. I forget which job it was at. It was at Ferrell's. It was at Ferrell's. Um, okay, so you know, and, and again, it was you know, it was it's, it's 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 there's no genius in it. I mean, it's it's a pretty simple idea. Um, and it, it, you know, it kind of really picked up speed when we were struggling because I had some young players in the program and they'd kind of seen me around their, their kids when they were in the middle school and they knew that I'd worked with them with the, with the youth program and, and I knew they were pretty good players coming up. So I made myself, you know, very visible to them, even more so with them because I wanted them to take ownership of the program when they first got there and just the, the, the better relationships that, that were built with those parents and those kids you know the more parents started to ask well can we do this for you can we help you with this can we do this and then one day they were just like why don't we put together a booster club and i don't know what happened to the dads the dads must have all been someplace else when they named it the mom's club because mm-hmm. uh, I, mean, I feel like dad, i feel like dads got hosed in all this because it was moms and dads right? yeah um so i don't know what that tells you about the dynamic of all those relationships but like it became the fairless basketball moms club and you know they became a booster club for you know for our our players at fairless and um you know we were we were not a big budget program um you know fairless is a is a is a small division two school that sometimes is is division three in ohio Um, ohio in basketball is a four division system one being the, the the big schools and so we were division two for five of the years I was at Fairless and we were division three for three of the years I was at Fairless. So we're right on that cut, right? Which makes it even harder to win a division two district championship that we won. Cause we're a really small school for that, for that, for that division. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the parents just, you know, they just, again, it's, it's about relationships. You know, you said your first hundred days on the job, yeah. you know, go back to summarize that. I would say relationships, 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 you know, I mean, there's some basketball that's going on there too, as well. You got to be thinking about fundraising and budgeting and things like that and scheduling. But like, man, those relationships are key because you get people on board and the sky's the limit. You know I mean? You don't have to be a big, big budget program anymore. Mm-hmm. Simple things, right? Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm a big believer early in the year. Um, you know, and I started this after about three years as a head coach because I, I just, I, I hate to slow especially when we went to the to the fast-paced run and stun concept i hate to slow a practice down in the afternoon with installations you know installing yeah. this or installing that so we would come in in the morning and i we would we would just call it our we would call it you know our, our breakfast club and we'd come in for an hour and all of our early season installations i did it during the morning session you know we'd come in an hour before class we were on the floor for exactly 50 minutes kids had a chance to shower and the moms would would take turns bringing in breakfast for the kids mm-hmm. and i'm not i'm not talking about toast i mean i'm talking about you know it, it looked like the it looked like the uh, old country buffet here in ohio i mean you you had you had pancakes and waffles and omelets and i mean the, the casseroles and i mean like it, I mean, those. It went from something where the kids were like, "Oh, I got to be on the gym floor at six fifteen to, "Hey, we get to practice in the morning because we're going to get a great breakfast," you know. And you know, it's just simple things like that, um, you know. And it got to the point where they were raising a lot of funds, and, and I didn't have to really think of the fundraisers anymore. You know, they were thinking of them. You know, uh-huh. we'll do a night at the races. Um, we'll do a spaghetti dinner. You know, we, we're going to go out and we're going to get. They went out and they hustled. Uh, sponsorships for the back of a t-shirt for our meet the teams night we were the first team in ohio to do this we we had our last scrimmage of the year um what we would do is we'd reach out to a to a big name school and bring them in for a scrimmage because a lot of the bigger name schools when we we started to get good wouldn't play us Mm -hmm. because 
there was they, there was no I mean, they, because we were dangerous. They didn't mean we would beat them, but like they knew we could. And losing to us killed their image. And beating us did nothing for them. So like we would bring them in for that meet the teams. And on a scrimmage, there's you know there's no admission. So we would just say hey, donations accepted, and we would bring somebody in that had a big name with a big time player, and we would square off and we'd wipe the score off at halftime because you're not allowed to play a full game and we'd play four quarters and we'd play a half we'd go to a halftime we'd have some nba type games going on there'd be a hundred dollar half court shot or a hundred dollar three-point shot i think the one year we we raffled off you know calves floor seats my uncle uh has floor seats to the Cavs. he's had them forever he's a he owns a construction company up in cleveland and when lebron was with the Cavs the first time you talk about making some money in a fundraiser, you know, put raffling those off on a meet the team. Sure. We oh made, yeah. I mean, we, we put together some great things and like, I wasn't doing any of it. You know what I mean? They would come up with the idea and I would be like, yeah, let's do that. And the next thing you know, it would go from being, you know, this scrimmage to, you know, all of a sudden we've got a 50, 50 raffle. We got a hundred dollar, you know, three point shot. We've got donations to the door. We're taking concessions. We've got the LeBron James team. I mean, we, it was ridiculous. Um, you know, and, and again, I think you have to have that um, if you're going to be a high school head coach. I think there needs to be, um, you know, a basketball-specific booster. And I know that there's going to be an athletic booster club at every school, and I think you need to work with that one as well. But I think that within the uh, under the umbrella of that, um, and I would ask this question in an interview as well, am I going to be able to raise funds, right, start a club, a mom's club? We call them the sideliners at Kent South. Okay. At Milton, they were just called the Booster Club, but they already had one, and so we, we did some things to kind of revamp that. Are we going to be able to raise funds for our program and our program only? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think that if, if you got a school that says no, you know, again, I don't think it's a deal breaker, but I, I think it's a Concerning. I think it's I, yeah, yeah, I think it makes yeah. me apprehensive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like like I said, you know, here at Wilmington, there was no locker room. And the first thing that we did at, at Fairless, at Cannes South, even at, believe it or not, at Milton, they won state championships, there was no locker room. It's like the first thing we did was build a locker room. You have to have a place, if you're going to have these relationships we're talking about, where kids feel safe, mm-hmm. where they can close the door and they can interact with each other, where we can meet with them as players, right, and have a real conversation knowing that nobody from any other sport's going to walk in the door while we're doing it, yeah. right? Um, you just it has there has to be a there has to be a, a sacred place, and like like you you can't without being able to raise those funds you really can't do those things, you know. And if you really can't do those things, then the administration really doesn't want a basketball program as bad as they need to, right? Mm-hmm. I mean they, they don't, and that sounds like hard it's harsh, but like it's not harsh, <laughs> you know what I mean? You you they're going to judge you based on the performance of that basketball team. And as a coach, you know that it goes way beyond the floor and the X's and O's. If it was just about the floor and the X's and O's, it would be a rec league. Yep, you know yep. what I mean? It's, it's, it's about more than that. There has to be a place where we can all go sit down and know. Whether we're just chit-chatting or whether we have to have a serious discussion, whether we're celebrating, whether we're crying, you know what I mean? And we have to know that we've got a place where we can put our stuff and someone's not going to walk in and take it. Yep. You know, it, it's, it's as simple as that. And if you don't have those things, you don't really have a basketball program. Yep. You don't. You know, what you have is you have – a basketball team, right? That will never be any more than a, than a hobby for anybody, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and it's not a hobby. You know what I mean? I mean, it starts as a hobby. And I think my, my player, Jonah Manak from that fearless team even started, he said that he said, basketball is just a game until it's not, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? 
And, you know, by the time you get to the high school level, it's, you know, it's not just a game anymore. And I'm not suggesting that it's life or death, but it's a part of a kid's life. Yeah. And, and it, you know, and, and that means relationships. And void of those relationships, number one, it's, it's, not, it's not worth it. I don't care how many games you win. It's not worth it. Yep. And, no, and number two, for those relationships, you'll never really know how good those kids could have been because they don't have those relationships, mm-hmm. you know? And so yep. it's, to me, those are big things, you know? And that, that mom's club at Fairless, and I'm glad you guys brought that up. You know, every year a kid would graduate, I would have plaques made for their parents, putting them in the mom's club hall of fame. Um, you know, like literally you're a mom's club hall of famer and Mm -hmm. they love that. You know what I mean? And that, that became a thing. So it's like, Oh, you know, this is not just a guy that, you know, that preaches and, you know, and then, you know, walks away and doesn't think twice about it. This guy like really cares about us. Yeah. You know, like he really appreciates us. And I've told those people years later, you know, that those were great years. Those parents always say, you know, I've got a father that still calls me every year on March 10th which is the anniversary of that championship game that we won at Fairless and thanks me for, for the years and the enjoyment that he got out of it, not his son, but that he got out of it. Right. You know, and then obviously we get into his son as well, who I'm, I'm, I'm still very close to um, Jordan Jennings was a great player in that team. Still, I think he may be the best high school basketball player I've ever coached, even though he was just a little guy. Um, yeah. But like that's the impact that you make, and that that kind of stuff happens because when 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 those kids walked away and those parents walked away, they knew that they were appreciated. You know, it wasn't just lip service to to get something out of it. it was like, you know, and, and now you know we go back to the thing where I say I had everything I wanted, you know, at Fairless, and why did I walk away? You know, I get asked that a lot, and like I get talking about this stuff, and I always I always forget how I get here. But like I've never really said this, but like I think that the thing that, that really allowed me to even think about it was that I was so close to those players and those parents, uh-huh. right? And I'm not talking about hanging out buddies. Like, we didn't go out to the bar sure. and stuff and all that other stuff, but, like, it was just, just a so very positive them, relationship. Was, yeah. I felt, I, felt like my, I felt like I was losing my family yeah. after 2008, and I just kind of maybe lost my connection there for long enough to where, I allowed my brain to go someplace else, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's what happened there. I mean, that was just a really special, special group of human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there is not one person from that that era that I would have said, yeah, but the one person was, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, and listen, I, I will tell you this. That doesn't mean that those parents probably loved everything I ever did. Sure. So no, like, I'm not no, trying to no. say So if some coach thinks I got a magic wand for that, I don't have that either. I'm sure there were nights where they were like, oh, you know, he should have done this or should have done that, or I don't like the way he looked at, you know, I mean, those things are going to happen. You're, you're a parent, you know, yep. I'm, a, I'm a parent. Yep. Like I get it. Like I'm a coach too. So like, I don't get caught up too much in it, but like, there are times when I've looked and thought, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I like necessarily where that coach just said that to my kid, but like, I also know that the coach, you know, loves my kid. And like, I just assume I, so like, I don't get caught up in it, but like, it's not about being perfect. You know, it's about being real with people. It's about letting them know you appreciate them. You know, it's about, a, you know, we use the word love sometimes, you know, we, we kind of are apprehensive about using that word, but like it was love. You know what I mean? I had a love for every single human being, um, every person that that was was a part of that program. And that's all I was. I was just a part of it. You know what I mean? I think that I need to make that really clear because we've talked a lot about what I think. And, you know, that's what you do in these things. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of my career and all this stuff. But, like, I mean, I, I was one part of that. 
You know, yeah. I was one part of that. And I think, I think really, you know, looking back, that's kind of what, when, when leadership is really working at its, at its optimum level, I, I think that's the way it really is. I think, you know, great leadership creates other leaders. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily create a bunch of followers and you empower people with the ability to lead in different ways. And, you know, everybody in that group kind of knew, you know, you know, I can do this. He really wants me to do this. And he's going to, and it just was a, it was a great time. And yeah. I, I, you know, I, if I could go back and, and do a couple of years in my life over again, I, I would pick a couple of those years because I just miss those people in that place. So great way to end Matt. Great way to end. Great stuff. Uh, if, if folks want to find you on Twitter on, you know, in, any of the stuff dealing with your books on the, on the, uh, the pod that I dra- uh, dropped, well, it'd be today, but folks aren't going to hear this for a week. Uh, but I put the links to on Amazon to your two books uh, in cool. the show notes. Uh, so I, I added that in there. But if if, if folks want to know more about you, what you're chewing with your with your with your blog spot, uh, coachinglife.org, uh, take a couple minutes to tell us a little bit about that. So if folks want to know more about what you're doing, uh, yeah. let us know, man. Yeah, definitely. A, a, a coaching, uh, a coachinglife.org, um, org. I'm still not great at that. I'm an old guy. Um, it's, you know, it's a great website. My publisher set that up for us and, um, there's a blog there. Um, I've started a monthly newsletter, you know, quite frankly, it's, it's been kind of a whirlwind couple of months as that book's gotten up and running. And the blog is really now just something that I've gotten on and we're starting to get some, some activity there. Um, I, I love Twitter. My Twitter is at coach K six, four, six, three. And by the way, the six, four, six, three at the end of that was the final score of that fairless triway district championship game in 2007. Um, you know, it's funny cause we, I keep coming back to this, but like you, you, sometimes a coach never knows like when you get into it, what's your greatest moment or what's your most, you know, what's your most moving moment of your career is ever going to be. But like, I knew that that was it the moment that it happened. You know what I mean? I like, I, it was kind of like bowling a 300 or getting a hole in one. You know what I mean? I've never done either of those two things. So uh-huh. I'm just kind of guessing. Um, I, I kind of sometimes feel like maybe I should just walked away that night and never coached again. You know what I mean? Cause like, <laughs> it, it just doesn't get any better than any, you gotta understand. I, I mean, I, it was after that, that we went to the final four. Not that I, you know, I'm not trying to diminish any of that, but like, it was just such a great night. And so, yeah, at coach K six, four, six, three, um, is my, is my uh, Twitter account. And, um, I've also got a business Facebook that I don't do quite as much with right now. I, I, a lot of times I'm using it to promote my basketball program right now. I'm not, uh, I'm not a head coach. And so I do some things there. It's, uh, it's, uh, www.facebook.com backslash the best laid plans. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot, but like, if you, if you find me on Twitter, you'll be able to connect to that. But honestly, um, the website, a coaching, a coaching life.org is really what we're trying to grow. Um, you know, obviously we're interested in selling books because, you know, I wrote the book. I didn't write the book to be sold, but now it is somewhat of a business. Um, and it's doing really well and we've just gotten great feedback. Um, I'm just, I'm just as interested in getting people to the blog because I, I, again, the purpose of the book is to, is to help coaches. You know I mean? It's to help the guy that like is like I was at Mountain Union when I was still in college looking for that first middle school job. 
you know, it's for a guy that's already got that middle school job or girl. I, I always sometimes forget that, but like, I have great deal of respect for the girls as well. I've got nieces that play that are very, very good. And my brother's a head girls coach at Calga Falls, which is where he went to high school. And so like, I, I don't, I don't ever mean to use that masculine pronoun to be, um, you know, to, to exclude anybody, but I, I get caught up in that cause I was a boys coach. Um, so like, yeah, um, any, anybody at any phase of their coaching career, uh, you know, I really, what we're trying to do is build a network there to where we hope to offer things that will help coaches, you know, things that we've done myself and my hall of fame co-author, Randy Montgomery, that helped us win games. And also to look at things that, you know, maybe we, we didn't do so well at times, especially sure. me. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like I said before, we think we've got a great book because Randy is a hall of fame coach and we think we have a great book because I'm not, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and that's the bottom line. And I, I call it, you know, the 98% club because that's what, you know, 98% of high school coaches are. They're people that, you know, they, they, you know, they spend a lifetime serving young people while striving to make the average public high school basketball program relevant with no expectation of making it into any hall of fame. And, and Randy was that same guy. He just happened to be in that 98% club until he wasn't because he did make a hall of fame. Um, you know, and he's a lot of things went into that. So he'd be another one to be interesting to talk to probably, but, um, we, we just want as many people to that website as possible. You know, if we never sell another book to me, what we've done here tonight, coach, um, and yesterday, if it helps, you know, one coach, then it was worth it. Um, because you and I know that this, this is a life. It's, it's not a job. It's not a, it's not a career. You know, it, it's a calling, but it's also a lifestyle. And, you know, the, the profession needs people that understand that young people need coaches that get into it, um, and want to be a part of that 98% club to serve them, you know, and then yeah. certainly to win as many games as you possibly can too. But like one of the big things is, you know, sidestepping landmines and finding satisfaction and fulfillment in the job that you're doing, whether you're winning 25 games or whether you're winning two, yep. because, because both jobs are really important, yep. you know, and quite frankly, oftentimes you can't get to 25 until you survive one of those two win seasons. And, um, you know, I've been through all of it. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm here to share the, the things that I did that were smart um, to, to, to climb that, you know, ladder and, and, and rebuild and, and pull a program out of the muck. And I'm also here to share things that I wish I'd done differently that ended poorly for me, because I think that those things can help uh, coaches at, at every stage of their career, just as much as the things that went well. So yep. that's, that's kind of the, I think the, maybe a good way to wrap it up. And yep. no. the, you know, the other thing I will say is that anybody gets to that website um, you know, and, and you buy a book or, you know, whatever, one of my pieces on X and O's, you, you got me for life. I mean, I'm a, I'm a junkie. Um, I'm a lifer and people that have purchased have reached out to me via email. And I usually give them my phone number right away and tell them, just listen, shoot me a text direct if you need something. And, uh, you know, and I'll share whatever I've got with you. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're right. Hit the nail on the head coach. It's a great way to end it. Uh, really appreciate your time. Hope you've uh, hope you've enjoyed your time on a pen and a napkin here the last couple of days as we've recorded these uh, couple of podcasts here back to back. I love a pen and a napkin. I mean, I, I I was so I was so excited when you reached out to me because I'd been following you for a while and I you know I I, lo- I love the X's and O's on the napkin thing. I told you I'm jealous that you thought of it before I did, and um, so you know it caught my eye because I think every coach has been there. I mean, it's just it's just genius stuff, and it's a lot like coaching. You know, what I mean, the genius is in the simplicity of it. It's just. Thank you. It's just, it's just simplistically 
genius. Well, thank and, you. Uh, and and I and I enjoy, um, you know, I, like I said, I enjoy listening to your podcast, and I enjoy uh, your material. I think it's I think it's great, and I, you know, I. I I believe in what you do, and like I said, this has been my pleasure to to be on here with you and to have a chance to talk basketball. And um, you know, we need to stay in touch. And if, like I said, if there's anything ever I could do to help you or something we want to work on together, give me a give me a buzz, and we'll do it again. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I I, uh, I appreciate the, uh, the the praise, and and uh, I'm glad we're we're just able to help out some folks in our own ways here. So. Uh, if you can hold the line here just a minute, need to wrap up a couple, uh, a couple of things. Again, Matt Kramer, author of A Coach's Life. Check it out. It's a terrific book. Um, I, I told Matt, um, uh, well, first of all, when he sent me the first copy, is, the first copy is God only knows where because it got caught up in a in a post office in Des Moines or something like that. And uh, But w- once I got the copy, I said, oh, I got to finish this other book. But once I started on Matt's book, it took me about a week to get through. It's really, really good stuff. So uh, go check out A Coach's Life, and, and it's, it's a really good book. You're really going to enjoy it. Uh, again, we want to thank our founding sponsor, Cossack Chiropractic, for for sponsoring the podcast, being our original sponsor. Follow us on Twitter, at a pen and a napkin. Download, rate, and review the podcast. Again, you give us a great five-star review. You rate it. You subscribe. The more we move up in the rankings. When folks need something, uh, like Matt and I have talked about here, uh, when they look out for coaching basketball on a podcast search, uh, that helps a pen and a napkin pop up there. Um, you know, uh, questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. And, of course, go, go check out a com. It's a website. Did some stuff with it. And uh, hope you folks enjoy it. Uh, changed a few things around, but there's still a lot of good stuff on there. Uh, didn't take anything down. Added stuff to it. So, uh, again, Matt Kramer, episode 172. Really, really good stuff here. Uh, coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.